What a special time that is, and it's one of our traditions here at Calvary, and we really cherish it. We think it's special, and we know that these children will keep those Bibles as a treasure. We have other, um, what we call maybe rites of passage here at Calvary. For example, we have parent-child dedications. We'll have that next month. That's an opportunity for parents whenever they have a baby, a child, and they come and they present themselves and the child in dedication to the Lord in this incredible task of raising our children in the love of the Lord and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and so then comes this first great Bible day when we welcome them into elementary school. They go from being preschoolers to being in elementary and being able to read God's word. And then uh, we hope that during these years of childhood, they'll come to a point where they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then that we'll get to walk with them in believer's baptism and we'll be there to celebrate their high school graduation and to send them off to college or wherever God calls them and, and see what God will do. But that's so important. And, and, and when we do this, we acknowledge that it is the families, it's the parents' responsibility to teach their children about faith. It is the family's responsibility to disciple their family. But the church has a role, and our role is to come alongside, to encourage, to resource, to, uh, to, to be here and pray with you and to assist you in that incredible task. And as we talk about that, as we talk about children and families, I would like for us to go to a text in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And if you go there with me, we can read that short, familiar text, Acts 16, 31, and it reads like this. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The Bible tells us here that, that the gospel impacts the entire family, that the gospel can change a person, but the gospel can also change a family. We began a new series last Sunday called Gospel, It Changes Everything. And we're talking about this first G of our 5G strategy, gospel. Everything that we do comes out of this basis of this gospel. And, and then last Sunday, we talked about how the gospel changes any person, anyone who comes to faith in him. But today we're talking about how the gospel changes the family. That's our focus today. And I want to talk to you about a couple of things that stand out in the passage. One of them, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the gospel is a personal commitment. It requires personal faith. Listen, you don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't get saved by being exposed to the gospel any more than you become a car if you hang out in your garage, okay? That's just not the way it works. Last Sunday, we said in Romans 16, 1.16, we said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It, it, there's belief that is required. The gospel is this incredible gift of God, this power of God unleashed in a person's life to change, to transform, to give a new beginning. It is the power of God to salvation. And yet, it becomes effective only when a person believes. And so we come to this other text this morning where we see, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's familiar. 
But then he says, you and your household. So two things stand out real quick from this passage. One is that salvation comes to the person who believes. You believe and you will be saved. And the second one is that salvation comes to the household. Now, how, how is that? Now, I want us to be on the same page before we talk a little bit more about this, but I want it to be really clear for us. I think we, we agree on this, that no one can believe for you. You cannot get salvation by proxy. That's why when we have parent-child dedication and we have first Bible day, we don't ask parents to believe for their children because we don't believe that parents can do that. The child has to come to faith by him or herself whenever they come to the age where they understand. In the meantime, we, we prepare the soil of their heart. We, we sow the seed. We encourage them. We pray for them. But it's got to be personal faith. You don't become a Christian because you grow up in church. Someone said it this way, and I think it's accurate. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. Either you're a child of God, if you believe you're his child, and if you don't believe you're not his child, there's no second, third, or fourth tier in the family of God. There's only one tier, and that's children. I, I'm, I'm so uh, excited about some of the things that are going on in our church. That We have this uh, training called Made to Multiply, and people are learning how to share their faith. And, uh, and, and, and one of the things that we understand is that faith is a family affair, and, and we have a team on Wednesday nights that is going out while we're having class here. That team is going out to the apartments on Nolana and they're knocking on doors and they're, they're talking to people and they're looking for what they call people of peace, persons of peace. Now, if you never heard that, I'll just say real quick, a person of peace is somebody who welcomes a message but also welcomes a messenger. So uh, when they go and talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ, when someone says, yes, I want those good news, I, I receive those good news, but I also want you to come and tell my family. I want my family to hear that. We call that a person of peace. I want you to know we have six apartments right now in Olana that have said to a team, keep coming back because we want our household, we want our family to hear the good news. That's a person of peace. So it takes us to this second idea that the gospel is a family affair. That although we respond in a personal matter, although it is an individual decision, it is not an individual experience. See, the moment that you trust Christ, the moment that you believe that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you become part of a family immediately. The gospel makes you enter into a relationship. It is not an individual self-improvement exercise. It is a relational experience where, where we love one another. Where, where we learn from each other, where we grow together toward one another, where we have a heavenly father and we have brothers and sisters living out grace and truth every day. So it should not surprise us when Paul and Silas tell this Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This gospel is going to impact your family, they're telling him. The gospel is, is it's got the kind of power that it changes a person and when it changes that person, it overflows, it spills over so that the family uh, and their faith is stirred as well. Now, notice how many times the word house or household is mentioned in this passage. In fact, I'm going to read four verses again, beginning with verse 31. It says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in Israel. 
his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. In this short passage, the author wants us to understand that what happened here didn't just change one life, but it changed the family. That it was a family affair. Now, what does that mean for you and me today? Well, I'll tell you three things that it doesn't mean. The first thing that it does not mean necessarily is that your family will come to be believers immediately. Okay? That happens here. In this case, the whole family came to Christ at once. But in other families, it takes a long time. In other families, you might be the only believer for years. And you're praying for your husband or for your wife or for your children or for your siblings to come to Christ. It may take a lifetime before they come to Christ. So don't think that it means that all families come to Christ the same day. so, So it doesn't mean that. It also doesn't mean that you have to preach to your family constantly and without sensitivity. In other words, you're not supposed to hit your family over with the Bible every time you see them. Okay? That's not what it's talking about here. And the third thing that I want to say to you, it doesn't mean that what, what the gospel in the family, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that the only responsibility that you have is to drag your family to church. Now, going to church is important. I like it. I love it. I have a good time. And I'm glad you're here. But that's not the primary focus of what is going on in this passage. Now, we understand, I think you agree with me, that the work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. That it is the Holy Spirit that opens up a person's heart, a a person's sensitivity to the good news. It is the Holy Spirit that, that allows that person to have faith, to believe. It is the Holy Spirit that gives conviction of sin. That, that gives the person the conviction that they need a savior. We can't do that. That's not your role. It's not my role. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that saves. It's the Holy Spirit that changes. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps and preserves the person. But we have a role. If we're Christ followers, whether you're mom or dad, whether you're husband or wife, whether you're brother or sister in the family, you do have a role. And let me suggest two things that your role should include. It should include your example and your service. And I get that right out of this story. When we look at the story, you might remember that Paul and Silas were in prison because they had exorcised a demon from a young slave girl. And this slave girl was a fortune teller and was very profitable for her owners. So when Paul and Silas exorcised a demon, these owners lost their income. And so they became angry and they incited the city of Philippi so that they would uh, take Paul and Silas and throw them in prison. The city magistrates ordered that they would be beaten. They would be stripped of their clothing and beaten with, with rods. And they hired or they made sure that a jailer would be in charge of putting them in prison. This jailer must have been a rugged person. You can imagine in the first century Roman Empire, a jailer that is in charge of criminals has to be someone that is rugged and, and perhaps mean, somebody that can handle uh, criminals. And, 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 and he's present there most likely as they're getting beaten. And then he takes them and he throws them in the innermost cell of the prison, putting chains on their hands and stock on their feet. And he makes sure that they are secure. And they might, they might be bruised and bleeding, but 
He's not caring about that. He just cares that, that they are secure, that he's doing his job. Now, Paul and Silas, in this condition, being imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for doing good to a little girl who had been enslaved uh, to a demon, uh, are there beaten unfairly and suffering and in pain, and they have much reason to complain, but you know what they do? You remember what they did? They started singing. They were singing praises. They were praying. In the middle of the night, they were having this incredible worship service in their cell. You can imagine what the jailer must have felt and what other prisoners must have thought as, as they were sitting there and said, this guy just got beaten. This guy's just got arrested. These guys are bleeding and, and bruised and, and they're singing praises to their God. What kind of God is that? Well, God answered that question when he sent an earthquake and, and the whole prison house shook and the prison doors were, were thrown open and the chains fell from the prisoners. And when the, when the jailer, when the Philippian jailer realized that, he said, I'm in trouble. Can you imagine what kind of, of Roman empire and, and what kind of uh, situation he found himself in that he thought, if I am brought into accountability for losing these prisoners that I'm in charge of, it's going to be bad for me. So I would be better off killing myself. That'll, that'll tell you something about the situation in those days. That, that he thought about perhaps the punishment, the judgment, maybe the torture that he would suffer for the prisoners escaping, that he said, I'm going to kill myself. He took the sword and was about to do it. And Paul and Silas notice, and they say, stop. We're all here. Yes, the prison doors have been thrown open. Yes, the chains have, have fallen from our hands and, and the stalks have, have been loosened from our feet, but everybody's here. Don't kill yourself. And I think suddenly the Philippian jailer must have realized that something supernatural was taking place here. He began to realize these guys are different. They're able to sing. They're able to pray in the midst of their suffering. This earthquake was no coincidence. And the fact that none of the prisoners have left, that, that's strange. Most prisoners are waiting for any chance to escape. And this guy that I made sure that he was secure, that, that, that I didn't care much about, this guy stopped me from killing myself. This is a power that is greater than the Philippian magistrates. There is a powered work that is bigger than the Roman Empire. There is something bigger that I'm accountable to, that I must give a, a response to, that I must give an account to. What must I do to be saved? How do I get right with this power that I see at work today? And Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And this man comes to faith. And notice what happens as a result of the gospel. Now try to imagine this rugged individual, this mean looking dude, who's probably not been a very gentle and tender husband or father. After he comes to faith, he washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. He could have told a servant to do that. He could have not cared about it. But something happened in his heart. Something happened in his life that transformed him. 
And here, the whole family, the whole household that has come out to, to see because of the earthquake and, and these incredible events in the middle of the night, they're watching this jailer who is supposed to, to be the mean guy caring for the wounds of Paul and Silas. I don't think it's an accident that the scripture tells us that before he tells us that they all got baptized. I think it was the witness of the power of God at work in the life of the jailer, the head of the household, that stirred up faith in them. And they all were baptized. Now, the Bible tells us that they all came to faith, that they were all baptized as they watched this. They didn't come to faith. They weren't baptized because the jailer preached to them. He, he, he really didn't. They weren't baptized because he dragged them to church. They believed because they saw the power of God at work in his life. They saw in his life the example of what that power is like. And after the entire household, household is, is our English translation. The Greek word is oikos. Oikos is an extended family. It includes mom and dad and children and sometimes grandchildren or grandparents, often the servants and the workers in the house. The entire household, that's big, that's huge. After they were all baptized, then the jailer invites Paul and Silas, his former prisoners, to his house and he sets a meal before them. The jailer becomes a host. The oppressor, becomes a servant, and as he serves them, everyone is watching. And that's the power of the gospel. Your family notices that power at work in your life. They notice your acts of kindness. They notice your wisdom. They notice your patience, your love your service, your humility, your listening ear, your presence in happy moments and in difficult moments. It is not your domineering and intimidating voice that will make a bigger impact in your family. It's your example of Christ-likeness and your Christ-like service to them that will stir up their faith and their desire to follow the same Lord you follow. I must confess that as a Christ follower and even as a pastor, I've struggled with this. I've struggled to, to, to be the kind of husband and the kind of dad that I should be, especially when my children were young. So many times that I was consumed with ministry, with the demands of, of school and studies and church work that, that I neglected my children. So many evenings that I wasn't present, weekends, that, that I was focused on something else instead of my family. And when I think back, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because there were missed moments and opportunities to be present, to love, to listen, to pour into them. About five years ago, Christianity Today contacted me and asked me to write an article to pastors, giving them some advice out of my 35 or so years of pastoral experience. And so I wrote this short article with, with five things that I, 
that I recommended to pastors. And, and the second one of those pieces of advice that I gave to them was that their greatest ministry assignment is to be a loving and caring husband and father. I wrote in my article, growing up in a minister's home and watching other ministers' families, I observed how much church leaders assume that seeking first the kingdom meant sacrificing your family. But that's a wrong understanding of the minister's priorities. One of the most important qualifications for a pastor in the scriptures is to be a good husband and father. The Bible calls for the pastor to lead out of his ministry to his own family. The most important church members in your congregation are your wife and your children. I have seen ministers who neglect their marriages and their families. I have seen divorce and in a minister's family and children who stray away from the faith. And when that happens, everyone loses, the minister, the family, and the church. For what shall he profit a man if he wins the whole world, but he loses his own family. And I wrote that out of my own brokenness, out of my own struggle. And I believe that if it's true for pastors, it's true for every Christ follower. That your most important ministry as a Christ follower is to your family, is to be present, is to live out the gospel every day in your home. And that's why I call the family a missional field. I believe the family can be our most important missional field and also a missional force. A few years ago, I read this paperback uh, book called Family on Mission, Integrating Discipleship into the Fabric of Our Everyday Lives. And in it, the author suggests three ways that family life and service to God relate. And one of them he calls family or mission. That, that's when somebody makes a choice. They either choose family or they choose God's service and at the expense of the other. And, and I've seen that and I've lived that. And that's not a good way to have to choose either family or, or the service of God. There, there's another option that, that I tried in my own life. It's family and mission. And that's when, when you say, I'm committed to family and I'm committed to God's service. I, I'm going to do both. And, but you keep them separate. And, and so you try to be present with the family, you try to be present in ministry, and, and, and you try to do, be a good father, a good husband, and you try to be a good servant of the Lord, and, and, and you try to do well in both areas, and sometimes there's just not enough time and not enough energy to do both. But there's a third alternative that the author talks about, and that's family on mission. And that's when a family comes together and they discover as they're committed to God's mission, how to do this together so that together they grow towards one another and they grow spiritually. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think we are called to do as families. Our story today is about a jailer in Philippi who became a believer along with his entire household. We don't know much about this family later, but we do know this, that in our Bible, we have a letter to the Philippians. That's a letter to the Philippian church. Eventually, there was an established church in Philippi. And we know that when Paul and Silas first came to Philippi, they, they encountered two families, Lydia by the riverside. And when they talked to Lydia about Jesus, she received the message. And the Bible says that her entire household, her entire extended family, her entire oikos came to faith. They were baptized. 
And then they had this experience in jail and the jailer comes to Christ and his entire household comes to Christ. So here are two families in Philippi that are pre-church. Eventually the church that grows in Philippi has to have had the witness and the impact of these two families. These families that made a difference in the kingdom. When the gospel is at work in families, it works in two directions. Inwardly, in the formation of the family, and then outwardly, in the witness to the world. Formation of the family means that the primary place for making disciples is the home. We need to own that. The church cannot do that in one hour a week. There are many people that want to disciple your family. The news media, social media, entertainment, competing philosophies and ideas out there of friends and schools and books and all kinds of things. They are committed to discipling your family. But no one should be more committed than you to disciple your own family. Not just children, but adults too. And then secondly, to be witnesses to the world. The world sees our families, the way that we treat each other, the way that we love one another, the way that we serve others outside of our family, and it will impact them sooner or later. There are many of you here, families that are families on mission, and you encourage me with the way you live, with the way you serve, with the way you disciple your children or your grandchildren. One of those families that is here and that I thank God for is the McBain family. Brent and Chelly, they are a family on mission. I think they even met on a mission trip. And, uh, and, and they've been on mission since then and they've served students at UTRGV uh, and at STC, discipling them. And then God gave them their own boys who, who they've discipled and in whom they've invested and, and who are following Jesus. And they're teaching their boys to be a part of God's mission. And one of the things they did recently of the many things that they've done together is they started, they started ministering to a neighbor. The neighbor's name is Jude. And they started inviting him to, to student ministry activities. And, and he didn't come at first, but they kept caring for him. They kept relating to him. They kept praying for him, inviting him. And then eventually Jude started coming. And then this last spring at one weekend, Jude trusted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And then this Wednesday, this last Wednesday, in Remedy, that's our student worship service in the student center, Brent McBain got to baptize Jude. Watch this video. joy it is to see our children follow Jesus. I, I know that in spite of all my failures and brokenness, I praise God that my children love Jesus. What a joy that is when we see them serve. And what a great joy it is when our family gets to reach beyond our family 
into the greater oikos, into our neighbors and people at work and school so that they can come to know Jesus too. We, we had someone else be baptized yesterday. I wish I could tell you that story, maybe, maybe later. But, but that is happening all the time. See, our family can be a mission field, but they become a mission force as well. The gospel has the power to change a person, but it also has the power to change a family. And the question I want to ask you today is, have you experienced that power? Has the power of the gospel changed your life? Have you believed and received this good news? And have you allowed this gospel to be so present in your life that it stirs up faith in your family? Maybe they don't become believers immediately, but they notice. And God is at work in their lives because you let God work through your life. How do you need to make that more special this week? I was reading stories about 9-11, and I read a story about a man named Stanley who was a survivor of 9-11, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but, but I will tell you this, that, that in his struggle in the 80th floor of that tower when that, when that plane hit and he was covered in, in jet fuel and he, and, and he thought he was going to be trapped. He was thinking, who's going to walk my daughter down the aisle? Who, who's going to be there for, for my children in special moments? And it was his love for his family that, that gave him the courage to keep fighting and to climb those stairs from the 80th floor all the way down. And the whole time he was thinking about his faith in God and his family. And I thought about this. It's in moments like 9-11 that you realize that the thing that matters most is your faith and your family. Your faith in God and caring and loving your family and making sure that they know God. Is that what's most important to you? Let's bow together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the Philippian jailer and his incredible story. Thank you, Father, because you changed him and through him you changed his family. And I pray today that you change me, that you change each one of us here and through us, our families, not just the immediate family, but the extended family into our neighborhood even. Father, I pray that as we respond that your Holy Spirit moves. If there's someone here that for the first time needs to come to Jesus by faith, for the first time needs to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that right now would be that moment. For those that are already believers, that today would be a day of commitment toward baptism or towards being families on mission or whatever it is that you lead us to do. Do that in us today, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.